Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary. This week, Ed Stafford returns to the podcast. Ed Stafford is an internationally renowned explorer and survival expert who holds the Guinness World Record for being the first person to walk the length of the Amazon River, which I would say is not a stupid record. Some records are stupid. Like what? Fastest hundred meters, first man Why on the moon. Shoes? No, no, like they might have beans. You know, people make up a record. There's loads that are about beans. A beard of bees. What about a beard of bees? You know about a beard of bees. Have you had a beard of bees? No. <laughs> Why a beard of bees? Because it's one of the prominent records. You're just Anyone thinking of the Guinness World Record? That's what he said. Guinness World yeah, Record. Yeah, like the show, Guinness. you know, when it's they do stupid stuff. Well, record breakers. Yeah. Not stupid at record breakers, Jen. Roy Castle, Norris McGuirter. Good TV, good honest British television. You won't know this, of course, because you're South African, Demar, and you won't know this, Jen, because you're <laughs> Irish. And let's face it, that the country of Her Majesty's uh, Great Britain and United Kingdom has, has inflicted some struggling and suffering on both those nations <laughs> and the continent of Africa. <laughs> but record breakers was never part of the problem was it mm. beard of bees <laughs> ed stafford is a survivor he is the face of survival <laughs> that's what he is on the discovery channel Disco- survive what does survival look like ed stafford he's also oh i don't know if i can even say he, him and laura might be doing something what <laughs> no, his wife is called it. laura too well, he mean, I mean my wife. What are they doing? Laura. Like survival for the little people. <laughs> <laughs> Could you do for little survival people? Survival for the tiny? No. I'd rather you didn't speculate. Ever since it became revealed that your spirit animal is the lowly crab, whilst I remain the mighty tiger. What about Gemini? How do you feel about being a Gemini? I don't know, Gemini. <laughs> Gemini's a good one. The twins. Whoa, baby. What's going on? The twins are the two faces. <laughs> yeah, I'm complex. What, what are you? I thought I was a crow, and then I realised I was a vulture. And I just oh, thought, oh, you tried to sell yourself as a crow. Both are carrying the crow and the vulture. This is Demaya's spirit animal. But the crow, mysterious, a cloak of black. The vulture, you, you dirty scumbag picking on a ribcage, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, but a crow is eating litter from a bin. <laughs> <laughs> but a crow, did you know, Jen, that a crow is as clever as a three-year-old boy? His name's Toby. <laughs> no, they say... Yeah, but crows a... can survive in the wild. A three-year-old can't. <laughs> it's better then, isn't it? It's yeah. even better than Toby. You don't want your spirit animal to be a three-year-old boy. <laughs> <laughs> this is my spirit animal, Toby. No, you're right. You're right. A crow can, but did you ever see... What I'm referring to is a TV show where there's a crow crossing the road. Did you see it? An old TV show. The crow learned to operate the the pedestrian crossing system to like it really it was dropping like I don't know nuts or shells or something on the road to get them run over and then it realised oh no it's difficult to get it because the cars are going by so it learned to drop it on the crossing because it knew that at the crossing it would stop that people would stop not for a crow but for people and then it would oh. hop out and get its nutshell or whatever it was. Well, into. What show is this? I don't know. <laughs> Was it not the internet or something? No, it's real life. It's BBC. And, I, and I'll still tell you this. What there isn't is a documentary about vultures doing anything impressive or hermit crabs. Hermit crabs do loads of cool things. What? Nick other people's houses? Crabs are really smart. I'm also a crab with my star sign. You're ca- you are a crab. 
You're a, however you look at it, whatever mumbo jumbo you want to summons up, it cut the answers is the same. Jenny's a crab, isn't uh, it? Yeah, but I don't. Yeah, keep to ourselves. Yeah, yeah, keep to ourselves. <laughs> you do keep to yourself, don't you? Even yeah. when you're meant to be talking to me, don't yeah. you? Over here, behind the window. I don't even look at you. I prefer you'd have a side of the window. It's like a, it's like a really poorly lit television program, Jen. Which is the only type I would allow you to be on. Now let's get on with Ed Stafford. He's a face of surviving. <laughs> His passion lies in using bushcraft. And I, I reckon you guys should go to bushcraft.academy. We watched the, these real good quality videos that have had like making knives, making fire, surviving outside. And let's face it, as Armageddon approaches, we're going to need to know how to build huts and start fires and all that kind of gear. Uh, he also is an advocate of like mental health and stuff. He did that homeless program on Channel 4, which was good. He's, like, he's a brilliant, brilliant guest. He uh, lives in Leicestershire. With his adventurer. His wife's an adventurer, Laura Bingham. Did you know that? I think I've seen her in a video. His, his son and newborn twin daughters. <sighs> Twins. Whoa. That's the that's the one, isn't it? We're going to have a baby? No, it's two babies. Ooh. That's that. That's, if he can survive that, he'll survive anything. Medium Brown Dogs says about the brilliant conversation with Seth Abramson. Thanks for a stimulating conversation. Also, my friend Meredith. Loved it. That's me saying that. That's my comment. Mark Marks McCann. Love, Seth. What other people think of me is none of my business. Keep going, man. What came after punk? New romantics. He's spot on. So I declare myself a meta-romantic. You heard it here first. Well done, Mark. I'm a polyclay. Really interesting and certainly gives a new window into understanding Trump supporters. Did he give a new window? He said they were like punks from the 70s and there's nothing in cool. interesting. Oh. Well, sign up to my mailing list, russellbrand.com. Check out my YouTube channel for more spiritual videos. And remember, we're doing this new episode, 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 take a chance, take a chance, called Ask Me Anything, where essentially you interview me. Don't be shy. You can leave any question you want for me on go to russellbrand.com forward slash ask me anything. And we will take out 10 questions. Obviously, we're not going to use ones that are like in some way insulting. Or challenging, like, why are you such a... Like, I mean, like that's a question that we wouldn't include. So serious, good questions. Probably they're not too long. Yeah. And then it's a voice memo. It's, it's not voice, an email. It's a voice Don't memo. Don't email your question. Or it's a voice memo. You have to go on and say your question then to your computer. Go on, say your question in your computer, <laughs> and I'll get it. You, is, that, is that... Jenny, are you happy with that description of what we're asking people to do? Yeah, they ask you a question, but it's not an email. Their voice will appear on the podcast. Brilliant. Your voice will appear on the podcast. You say, hello, Russell. My name is Lucy. I wanted to know, how do you keep your skin so fresh? And I'll go, well, I've got a rigorous routine. Or, Russell, how do you cope with a certain knowledge of death? And I'll go, well, I've got a rigorous routine. I mean, there'll be that sort of answer. Okay, so go to russellbrand.com forward slash ask me anything. Remember, you can reach out to me on social media. I'm on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn. Russell Brand, Russell Brand, Russell Brand. That's who I am. Okay, now let's get to the episode with Ed Stafford. Let's learn about surviving and survival from a man who knows, a man who understands. And uh, I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I enjoyed making it, which was a reasonable amount. Now, I love being with Ed. I love him. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful that, route. Yes, that's, that, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. 
what's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told. Welcome to Russell Brand Under the Skin. Ed Stafford, thanks for coming on Under the Skin. Absolute pleasure, Russell. Do you feel somewhat like validated by the apocalypse and think, well, at least I'm ready? Um, it's funny, isn't it? When it, I think when um, lockdown started, I actually did get a bit of a buzz out of it. I was like, amazing, right? We've got a real life scenario and everything's changed and um, we can sort of click, click into survival mode. And um, and I was I was really up for, um, you know, following all the regulations and making sure that everything... and. I, I, I went through these multiple phases, actually. I started getting annoyed by all of the people, you know, going to Brighton Beach and and um, doing all of their mixing when I was being quite strict about it. And and now I've come to a slightly apathetic um, stage, you know, and increasingly you learn all of the different figures and everything like that as to as to how many people are dying and all of that sort of stuff. And, um, and you know, even with two young, we've got baby girls, two twin girls that were born eight weeks ago. I'm not... Oh, wow. Not worried about it at all, mate. Um, I have to say, I, I, I don't be. I'm not dismissive about the effect it's had on people's life. And crikey, the effect it's going to have on the economy is huge, isn't it? But, um, but, um, but from somebody who's healthy, my age, your age, um, I'm not worried about it at all now. Do you feel like? Um, do you take like what's interesting? One of the many things that interests me about you, Ed, is like you've been candid about mental health stuff you're very curious about spirituality when you're talking about survival and living in extreme conditions whether that's isolation or extreme climate or living without a lack of technology you seem to be very interested in the ideals underneath it as if there's a kind of forgotten human truth have these times of crisis made you feel any differently about the way you organise your life as a man and as a as a member of a family? And also, does it make you feel that perhaps we could be organising society differently? Um, yeah, potentially both. Actually, I think as a as a man, I think for some reason a few years ago I forgot to um, have proper mates in my life. Um, yeah, I um I've got um I've got a lot of people that I work with that I get on with, and I've got my family and I've got my work. And, and I've dedicated pretty much everything to both of those. And I think when it comes to lockdown and suddenly you do have a little bit more of time to reflect. And um, I've, um, I've really enjoyed actually post lockdown, not, not when we're all locked up, but um, reconnecting with mates and, and spending proper time with them. And I think that was definitely something that um, I just, I don't know, weirdly as a sort of 44 year old man, I got a bit lonely and, uh, and I thought, you know, you do need different conversation than, than your wife all the time. Um, no, not being dismissive to my wife's Laura as well. Not being dismissive to Laura at all, but I can't talk about how the babies latch all the time and all the different hours of feeding and stuff like that. It just drives me mental. So I think from a personal perspective, I've, 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 I've recognised that I do need to expand my social network in order to, I suppose, have the support that you need from, from, um, from your peers. Um, and I suppose from a societal perspective, I'm getting a little bit frustrated, actually, um, by by the ways things are handled and I kind of see why it has to be handled like this and I can see that um you know it's a it's a morally totally unacceptable um decision to to um to let anybody die from a big pandemic and so you have to react in this way but I I do see our economy being utterly crippled for multiple multiple years um and um the, the figure that I got recently given to me um while I was when I uh, met up with a mate earlier in the week, was that the average, the arithmetic median of the people who have died in the UK um, 
from coronavirus um, in the last year is is 83 years old. Now, if that's the case, then then um, we're crippling the economy for people in their last years of their life. And I, and um, and you you can't morally make that decision, can you? You can't say, well, actually, we're just going to allow those people to die. And I, can, I get why it's happening, but I do I have to admit from a from a perspective of a lot of those people are in the last years of their life. It, I found it actually quite frustrating. I think that what it points to as well, Ed, is that a lot of people don't have much trust or faith in their government. And the kind of opposition that you see, uh, you know, pol the political opposition is so um, indistinct, so, so similar, comparable to the existing political party. I'm talking in countries like America or England. I know people that are really into politics would really argue for the distinction between someone like Keir Starmer and Boris Johnson or, you know, Joe Biden and Donald Trump. But to those of us that believe in genuine change, that believe in genuine progress, progression, those changes are not sufficiently large to warrant sort of getting upset about and a lot of people that kind of oppose um the government uh, or, or a policy policy around stuff like covid19 lockdown etc are kind of generally regarded as and perhaps are wackos you know they're kind of like they're sort of when you see a demonstration it's kind you feel like oh well this isn't doesn't seem like a this seem these kind of movements seem marginal. They don't seem well underwritten. Do you think that's because of how they're presented, or do you think that do you think it's impossible now to oppose? Do you think that we're in a sort of a place where power is static and there's no meaningful opposition to political power? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't agree with um, uh, Nigel Farage's um, in in many ways, <laughs> uh, but what I was impressed with with Nigel Farage is is the fact that one man pretty much. Um, latched onto a, a, um, an issue and made a political party and, and did seem to make quite a big, significant um, impact. So I do think it's possible to upset the status quo. Um, um, you know, this is, that's not me supporting UKIP at all. That's just me saying that I think it's possible that to choose something other than Labour or Conservative. And, but I, I do agree that, I mean, I've watched your, your um, I think it was the interview with Jeremy Paxman you did in a hotel room somewhere. And, um, and so, yeah, I know I, 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 I kind of, it's not like I'm up for a, a um, it's not that I really feel like the society has to have a, a total revolt or rebellion or anything like that. I don't, I don't really break many laws. I'm not really that rebellious a person. I, I you know, as you mentioned earlier on, your, your military sort of uh, history is showing in the sort of order of your desk. I just, I'm frustrated by it. I'm, I'm just, uh, I, I'm a bit apathetic about it. You know, when you see all these decisions making uh, being made and you you don't you don't agree with them um a lot of them and it's just it is it is somewhat frustrating um um but i mean i do probably think it's possible to um to evolve the democratic system so that that does work but i think it needs a big rocket up its ass at the moment yeah i think you're right about that i'm also very interested in um organizing smaller groups and smaller communities like we were talking a while ago before this happened about something that still interests me of like organizing events that are predicated somewhat on simple where simple living meets survival so on one hand you know 
craft and creativity, stuff that my wife's well into. And on the other hand, how, like, right, let me just make this a bit more simple, Ed. I went on a camping holiday a couple of weeks ago to a place in Cornwall where you have to, like, they don't, like, it was a camp, it's a campsite, right? But it's like simple living campsite, as in you don't take, like, your cal- a cal of gas or nothing. But they do have a shower, but you have to chop up wood and put it in that shower like and burn it to heat up like to heat up the water to have a shower i don't know if you've ever tried anything like that it is probably a bit out, a bit out of your league i would have thought but like uh but like sort of like having this sort of simple experience of living more co- like closely and harmoniously one it did make me appreciate the sort of luxury and privilege of being able to turn on a tap and hot water coming out and wi-fi and all of that stuff but it also made me ad- like address the idea that we've become kind of prisoners of comfort that we have lost c- connection to nature and to the ordinary facility of everyday life and is that something that still interests you mate Hi, totally i mean if there is one thing that has kept me going um through lockdown in terms of um in terms of motivation in terms of um i suppose creative drive is the fact we've been basically me and one of my best friends who's a cameraman and a bushcraft expert called Stephen. Um, all came together we've all got young families we've got young kids and we like tv industry fell apart so we were like how are we going to earn some money and we decided um to film online bushcraft courses so basically teaching people the skills that, so that they can be outdoors longer and um the moment we started doing it originally it was set up literally because we because we couldn't pay the bills um but then and we all sort of fell outside of the help that was being given out from covid but then we realized that you, do you know what this is so lovely. And, and, and even our experience of going into the woods and filming how to properly sharpen a knife or how to light a fire or how to build a shelter, all these things. And we, we were just having such a nice time doing it that um, it's it sort of it just grew into this um, a bit of a mission, really, which was um, to equip people with the skills that they need in order to go outside. And I do absolutely think that so many of the mental health issues that are going on today are because people are stuck inside or glued to a screen. You know, this. I, I fall so, so um, you know I fall prey to it as well, and I I have bad days when I use use my phone a lot, and and I'm a, I'm a lesser version of myself. I really am, and yet when I'm outdoors, when I'm doing con- something constructive outdoors, you know, which involves a little bit of maybe a little bit of dexterity or a little bit of skill. I don't know. You're carving something. I'm never in a bad mood. I'm always connected. I'm always got a smile on my face. I'm always interested in other people. I'm always chatty. I'm always human. Do you know what I mean? It's just, the list goes on and on. And I think. It's not just about going on the occasional dog walk or getting your hour of exercise every day. I think it's it's actually learning stuff like how to light a fire or you know how to whittle a spoon or something daft like that. Because then you're actually having to learn about the properties of wood or the different types of species of trees, and you're really actually connecting with the outdoors rather than just you know walking through it. And so yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I think it's um, you know my little boy. Um, He's having a little tantrum and he, I just don't know what to do with him. I just grab him, walk outside the back door. And there's something to do with the breeze that just washes across his face. That It just it just all goes away. We, we, we were, sorry to interrupt you. We were, we were evolved to live in those conditions for thousands of years, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. We've necessarily lived harmoniously with our environment i'm not one of them people that doesn't appreciate and value technology and medicine and science but i feel that where the uh, financial and cultural imperatives of those technologies have become so dominant 
the the balance has gone right out of whack. You know, it's like I was thinking just simple things, the way that we live, because we live in the age of consumerism, that people are always looking for needs to fulfill when really what we need to find is a process of simplification, a way of, again, connecting in that way. Mate, tell us a bit more about that course. Where is it? Where can people find it? And what other stuff did you do? Because I want to do stuff like that, as in I want to take those courses. Oh, nice one. Well, yeah, it's a, the website is bushcraft.academy. Um, so you can buy them and like a, a five, uh, no, it's not, it's three hour uh, fire lighting course is only nine quid. Um, I think the knife course is seven hours long. That's only nine, nine quid as well. But it's, there's so much information in that. Literally, um, I've learned so much over the summer. I mean, I, I stumbled into making a, a career out of myself out of being a sort of adventurer on TV, but I was in the military, but you know, we didn't do that much survival. Didn't you? I'm learning on the hoof. I didn't know, and I think one of the reasons my shows have actually worked is that is that I me- I'm, I mess up half the time. You know, I don't get it all right, and I think that's you know, it's not about being perfect, is it? I've never wanted to have a show where you you sort of bear grills. Oh, I don't mean to dis- be dismissive about bear grills at all. He's done amazingly, but but he's positioned as a sort of action hero, and I've I've never really. I've never really bought into that and I've never thought it was me, basically. It does suit him, actually, and it doesn't It doesn't suit me. And I far prefer <laughs> to show the sort of what's and all sides of just, ah, oh, fuck, I've really got this wrong or I've got made a pickle of it or I'm just in a bit of a headspin and I can't work it out. And I think that stuff is far more applicable to everyday life, isn't it? You know, because because everyone has bad days and everyone gets themselves, their knickers in a twist. Um, so, yeah, anyway, this course is it's all about it's all about if, if you can't get outdoors at the moment and you are resorting to using so you're using your computer to learn skills then you know because it's sometimes it's rubbish weather as well outdoors then yeah it's um really in-depth but quite humorously uh, put together um lessons on just the basic skills to in fire lighting cutting tools so that's axes and knives at the moment um and wilderness cooking there's quite a lot on um, and different methods of cooking outdoors as well it uh, made me realize going on this amazing little camping trip for five days in cornwall like there's these like being like not having i had access to my phone the phone worked on 4g or whatever but we were do, using the phone like a lot less as soon as we got there they had like like fire pits outside and like in this situation mate i'm still got matches and kindling do you know what i mean i'm not having to start a fire in some sort of hardcore way but like i found out i quickly felt very very i felt frustrated because of my i felt inefficient and i felt incompetent right and like, like, I noticed that made me feel pretty emotional. Like, cause my, and my children were running around near the fire, and I'm like, "Don't come near this fucking fire!" <laughs> right? I was like losing my temper, and like, and it made me feel like, you know, who are you really? If you know, like, your whole life is kind of held together by gas companies, electronics companies, big business, the government, all these things that we're cynical about. We're cynical about fossil fuels, can't live without them. Cynical about big big corporations, big tech, can't live without them. You know, and I, I feel like it's somehow empowering in the same way that you're saying like the breeze on your son's face, calm him down after a tantrum. Like that all of us need to find a way of like harmonizing, harmonizing in a sense tuning in to the way that we evolved to survive i'd be really into it like sometimes i think about what do you have you like forgive me if you've already made this tv show but do you feel like that if you was like never mind in an exotic location like a desert or an arctic or a jungle or whatever like you know the, the british writer gk chesterton said the truly adventurous man instead of traveling around the world would simply hop over his next door neighbor's fence right i wonder like would you be able to survive like what would happen if you were 
today had to, with no stuff, survive outside in England, what would be your like approach? Oh, it would be. I mean, the thing is, it wouldn't be hard enough at all, actually. Do you mind? It's just, it's, it's, and it would also be somewhat comical. I think, weirdly, the the public sort of, you know, like you go to the theatre and you put the put reality on hold and you can see all the props at the side and you can see the set looks a bit rubbish, but you want to buy into it. And I think when you're in a glossy setting in a in a far off land, people buy into the fact that you're in this um, survival situation and it must be really scary and there must be a tiger behind every tree. But, you know, if you're running down Scarfell Pike or something in the Lake District, people are just going to start laughing. And I think, you know, practically it, I mean, you'd have to break the law, is the honest truth. But there's there's so much food around. Um, but I think you would. What do you mean, break the law? Well, I, I mean, a lot of the military exercises that we used to go on, the, the, the way that people feed themselves is by nicking the old chicken and um, digging up some vegetables or stuff like that from, from, a, from a farm or from somebody's back garden and stuff like that. And certainly in the more populated areas, you would need to do that. In some of the more wild places, yes, there's the seasonal uh, sort of, what are they what used to be called sort of um, famine foods but um but they're not plentiful and and i i mean joe rogan's most recent podcast is um with a guy called paul saladino and 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 it all talks uh, he's he's this carnivore guy completely opposite to you so only eats only eats meat basically and um there's a lot of people now saying that the sort of health benefits benefits of that eating lots of organ meat and all of that sort of stuff and so i think actually because we don't have many big wild animals anymore you would You'd struggle from in that perspective um, if you were to stay on the right side of the law. Not that there's not lots of animals around; there are loads, but they all are owned by somebody. So uh, that would be the problem. So you, you wouldn't feel like you'd feel like you'd have to nick the odd chicken or sheep, and you wouldn't be like that sort of if it was just bark and squirrels and plants and fungus. Like that would be a rough ride. Well, you you could survive, but you you know you're gonna. You're not going to have a very enjoyable time, really. You want to have a, I mean, you're you're a vegan, aren't you? So let's face it, you you're used to eating vegetables all the time. I'm not at all, but um, yeah, you could survive, but you're just going you're just gonna have a, a slightly dull time. I think. Would you? That's what it's like being a vegan, anyway. That's a joke. That's a joke. Like like like. Um, what would you go and would you go and live in um woods? Where would you set up if, say, if we got dropped off and it had to be sort of like around M25 or something, you know, like what what kind of environment would you put yourself in and what sort of shelter would you build? Well, that again, that's that's the it depends where you were dropped in the UK, obviously. But I mean, one of the reasons I didn't want to do that homeless project initially was because I thought it was a, a taking the piss out of homeless people that you were dropped in in an urban setting and you know can you live on the streets well of, of course you can um you know because there's there's so much generosity of the general public and the handouts of the food banks and stuff and i walked into that project actually thinking if i was homeless I, why are they all going to london i wouldn't go to london i'd go to a wood like you're saying and i'd go where there potentially are some rabbits that i could snare or something like that and um and and i'd be more peaceful and i'd set up a nice little lean-to shelter against some trees and have a fire on this side and keep myself warm and the shelter would reflect back the heat and make myself a nice little idyllic camp and then of course the moment i went on the streets i'm sorry i'm got spilled into homelessness now but but i then realized that of course there's no money to be given out on the um in in a wood is there and in, and unfortunately the the correlation between addiction and and homelessness is massive, isn't it? Uh, if if it's not way up in the high nineties, and and therefore that was why everyone was in London. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't for any other reason. It was. It was because of out of access to alcohol and drugs. So and 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 a very generous, compassionate general public. So I would, 
personally, because I'm not an addict, um, um, I would go up into a wood somewhere and, and took myself away. And yeah, snare rabbits or something like that. That would be a good way of doing it. You're referring to your TV show that you made called 60 Days on the Street. And like on that and during that TV show, it gave you a completely different perspective on the reality of homelessness. Another thing that came up in coronavirus, a friend of mine pointed out that they sort of overnight stuck people in hotels. Like, you know, because there was they were unsure of what the threat was going to be. Homelessness was solved overnight. <laughs> you know, like, and it shows like, look, <laughs> I mean, Homelessness could be solved overnight, but the, the, it's not. A, I walked into that project thinking it was all about a housing issue. We haven't got enough houses. Like Boris is on this big drive to build more houses. We haven't got enough houses, but but it's not at all. It's a social issue. Obviously, I'm not ruling out mental health, but there was so much addiction on the street that that it that was the driving force, and there was no incentive to get off the street because if you got off the street, you didn't get the handouts. And on the strand, and they went up to Christmas. It was 150 quid in a day was not. A, not that impressive it was relatively normal so you imagine the amount of uh, spice joints you can go and get for 150 quid it's huge so you, they keep going off and coming back and, and and smoking spice all day long no incentive to go into a house if you're giving a house then it's the same as they refer to hotels as dead time so if they had money and they could have bought a hotel they didn't go to a hotel because that was dead time because they wouldn't get any drops and if they don't get any drops they're not obviously uh, earning money and they're not and they're not scoring so i've personally yeah i mean you could so it, the hot, the worst place was meant was in fact Manchester, the worst place we went to, and that was meant to be the, at the time the biggest hotspot of uh, outside of London of, of homelessness. I reckon there's 250 people sleeping rough, and you think it's not actually that many houses to to accommodate 250 people, but it wasn't anything to do with the accommodation. I think anyone who's got any common sense and mental health and is not an addict can get themselves off, off the streets in a week, maybe two weeks maximum, you just don't need to be on the streets. You've just got to attend the, you know, the local council interviews and all of that sort of thing and go through the system. And if you're ex-military, you get off the streets in a day. It's like literally, and I, that was another fallacy that I, I was oh, told really? told before, you know, a third of all homeless people, or people sleeping on the streets are military, ex-military. And I'm like, that was one of the reasons I was picked because I was ex-military. And so I, I stumbled into this going, I'm going to meet loads of sort of like-minded mates on the street I, I met one person who's genuinely ex-military on the streets and he was um he was such a pacifist that he was refusing help from ex-military charity so he's almost doing it as a status um i met a couple of people who'd lost their legs to addiction and were pretending to be um ex-military veterans and one one chap who was like uh i was like where did you fight and he was like uh, yeah arabia i'm like who did <laughs> Who, who, who did you fight? And he said, the enemy. And I was like, fucking hell, mate, your story needs to work, needs to work on it. But um, yeah, so, I mean, it's, 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 yeah, it's no, it's no less, no less of an issue, no less sad, but it wasn't a housing issue at all. Um, no. In a way, it's because we look at these uh, cultural issues through the lens of individualism what i mean is like when someone is homeless you think that home that must have they must have done something wrong when in fact really we've got a culture or a social systems that kind of generate and produce homelessness that create addiction that create mental health and there are always going to be a certain number of people that are the same way as there's a, a poverty class and before that there was a slave class and before that there was a serf class we have hierarchical structures that kind of require this sort of layering i don't know why it is it when i talk to you i think it's to do with the fact that you've been so direct in your approach to these challenges it, like as in you've been a soldier you've 
that learned how to survive it makes me realize how sort of fundamental the social problems we're experiencing are i think a lot that we have almost adjacent to the society we live in we have the possibility for a completely different one for a kind of utopia that we could step out of all these invisible economic and cultural systems that keep us somewhat hypnotized and chained to you know like when i think of my own personal freedom of like you know of course i do well for myself financially but I, like i live chained to all sorts of obligation financial obligation you know like we've we're all of us have been in a sense, uh, siloed away from freedom and into various roles that prevent us having a kind of authentic experience. And I, I suppose because you've done so many things that are so punkishly direct, like I'm going to just go and live with nothing, it makes me feel like I wonder what territory we should investigate. I don't know. I mean, I think it has been worth over the years. I mean, I, was, I wasn't always like this. I, um, I, uh, at school and stuff, I mean, I didn't know about engines. I remember when I got my first car, just like patting the engine and, you know, I need to get a man, man to come in and sort this out. And I don't know, as, as I got older and ended up doing expeditions and stuff like that, I think acquiring these skills, like you were saying earlier, they do allow you to be, for example, it'll allow you to be a good dad because they equip you with all of the this nice knowledge that you can then pass on. And, and it does make you feel like more of a man, you know, nothing like starting a fire to make you feel a little bit, of a man but I mean I don't know it's um from a societal perspective I don't know I don't know I don't I don't have I don't have the same sort of big political um conversations in my head that you do clearly do I uh, I I don't I don't sort of redesign society and stuff like that really not in your imagination <laughs> not really um I do I do have a little idea on housing which because the housing really pisses me off at the moment because at the moment there's so many greenfield sites being developed and houses going up everywhere and so the argument is that there's not enough housing for everyone but you know as i've spent all that time on the streets i know that there's not a, there's not people on the streets there might be people living with their mums and dads okay then maybe that's not perfect and there might be too many people in houses but i quite believe in that system anyway you know if you if you go to um i don't know a lot of middle eastern countries there's, there's lots more high density people living in, in in households anyway they live in more more generational family units certainly um i think they should tax um vacant buildings much higher and and that was one thing we did see on the streets there's so many buildings that are unoccupied and like why are you building all these houses when there's so many areas that are unoccupied there's not only the sort of central sort of shopping areas of towns which are now you know virtually empty because because no one wants to go into town and buy shops but there's also now all these um commercial properties because people aren't going uh, into work as much are they? they're working from home so again they're becoming more vacant why aren't these taxed super high i mean it would be a massive injection of cash for the government at the beginning so they they would like that surely and um, and then that would be a massive incentive to then let them out or to redevelop them and put them into and make them into property so yeah i mean that that is that's about as complicated as i get i'm sure there's a reason why they don't do that but i i can't quite see it at the moment yeah, it's difficult to speculate, but I feel like even the way that this conversation is unfolding, Ed, you started off by sort of declaring your sort of cynicism about the way things are conducted while still feeling compassionate about it. You talked about how like being denied access, like not having male friendships and not having that kind of uh, sort of tribal connection is mentally punishing. I think that all of us think about these things in our own ways, bringing our own stuff to it. I mean, I don't have like anything as complex as a 
solution to homelessness and vacant building policy. So you're advanced of me in that sense. I mean, what what I suppose interests me and has always interested me is are we both as individuals and as societies even approaching something that is fair and optimal for how we have evolved or are we living in someone else's version of reality i don't believe in a big conspiratorial they i just feel that certain economic interests and certain ideologies have cultivated so much power that situations that are not beneficial to a lot of people are beneficial to a particular strata and therefore there is no incentive to change. I heard that during lockdown a whole bunch of like uh, businesses and sort of you know large corporations have benefited hugely and they're these are quite sort of powerful interests and if powerful interests benefit from lockdown then lockdown will continue. If it sort of like, you know, with other security threats notably through terrorism it facilitates uh, the uh, what I want to say the practice of different more draconian and limiting policies like the ability for like you know track and trace etc all things that are legitimate within the context of coronavirus but will unlikely be repealed were there ever a situation where coronavirus was eliminated you know the same way as after the Patriot Act in 9-11 American politics changed access to data changed American foreign policy changed and you know this has never been revoked it's never receded this just becomes the, the new reality so like what I feel like mate it's like a lot of people i don't have a lot of trust in government i do have a lot of faith in humanity i do feel it's possible to organize society differently and i think that the, the meaningful change will come from looking at what we of how we are evolved to live if we're evolved to live somewhat in harmony with nature in small groups that's something that we have to explore and and i think that we should be looking at obviously taking the best things we know from like philosophy from personal development uh, from all areas of life and trying to cultivate new systems that are not designed to advantage a tiny percentage of people but are designed to benefit as many people as possible yeah i mean i mean you certainly see that uh, i watched the the other night the social dilemma and you see that in that don't you you know Mm. these huge companies who have designed these things in order to addict you to your phone and and therefore all of the negative repercussions that are happening with teenage suicide and, and 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 um it's just it's, but it's wider than that isn't it it's not just teenagers yeah i mean definitely i do and you know it's, it's all part and parcel of of um what i said about you know that time that people spend outdoors i do think it, the the solution is at um it is at a grassroots level isn't it it's 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 people just going do you know what i need to spend more time with dave and where am i going to do that i'm going to go camping together and we're going to bring our kids together we're going to have a fire and we're going to do wholesome stuff together and i think that's probably i mean not everyone can make money like that, but I mean, for, quite frankly, I, if if TV never picked up again, and I and I and I did enough online courses, I would I would love that, and I'd take my little boy with me, and I'd take my wife with me, and we'd all go to the woods, and we'd you know make fires and stuff, and I, I you know, and we're doing that. We're not. It's that's not an you know, if if we lived in a whole other world, we're doing that, and there is a, a, a seems to be a market for it as well. So we're not alone in thinking that you know, people want to reconnect with nature and, you know, it's it, scientifically, it's just, it's not an if at all. It's, it's an absolute, it does give you um, a reconnection. It does give you a reset. It, it does sort of enrich your life, you know, having these sort of skills. And, and I think you do need skills. I don't think it is just being next to nature. You can't just sit in nature and just absorb it. I think it it, 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 it is so much more 
good for you if if you're doing if, if you're learning about it if you're actually immersing in it if you're working out what does that, what that tree is outside the window because and you know and and then once you identify the tree you know whether it's good firewood or you know whether it's good for construction or all of these things it's just it just i don't know it, may, it makes you more competent doesn't it as a human being like a television company uh, offered me a like a show where like i didn't I was sort of curious about it, but I didn't do it for reasons that will become obvious. Like I was offered this t like TV show where I could set up my own community, but like the TV company clearly wanted it to be like a, a cult and were really interested in how mad it would go and how wrong it would go. And I goes, I'm not do it like I goes, I believe in these ideas. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm not going to like sort of participate in something where it all goes fucking wrong and goes crazy. And I, and I look like a lunatic partly because I am a and a you lunatic. can guarantee if you'd done it, they would have chosen the most diverse. I don't mean diverse in a positive way. I mean diverse in a negative way. Bunch of clowns that would have just fallen apart on camera or deliberately argued with each other. It, you know, I, I think you were wise not to do that. Do you? <laughs> yeah, I think it would have been a nightmare. And about when I was like sort of talking about it, I was thinking like people that I would involve to try to make it to, to try and head towards ideals and I've thought of you because I thought like I'd want you know there'd be no point in doing it if we're just living in some little enclave where everyone's doing the same stuff where the, the shit that's holding us together is cute consumerism and sitting around on Facebook you know you want to how, like live in communities of 100 to 150 people where as much as possible you generate your own food where there are active crafts and creative products where you can make your own clothing where you can repair things and tend to things where of course you have access to the online world but you use it judiciously and mindfully and like what I did got like that little short five day camping trip where I was chopping my own wood and carrying my own water and getting bloody cold and freaking out about the kids i like learned a lot of stuff from doing that i felt like, like if it i thought i said like if it had been a practice that a particular religious community did like where for five days we just cut off and we don't use electricity and we make you know we don't use anything we we go off grid i'd say what what an amazing way of like firstly learning gratitude for the stuff we do have two for developing your skills so that you are like not uh, like the anarchists have a phrase that we have been de-skilled no one knows how to repair their, no one knows how to fix their own car no one knows how to fix their own roof or their own plumbing everything has become a service right let's turn that into money let's turn that into money turn that into money you know you're dislocated from your own life you know? i think it i think it's um it's not as big a leap as people think though is it i mean like we've got we i mean we're lucky enough to have quite a big garden but i've just been chopping trees down over lockdown as well and then read a book to learn how to stack the logs and chop the logs properly so that we can you know burn it this uh, next winter on on the fire and little things like that they're really good aren't they and my brother for example does do my car and and i think it's we live in a nice village where you know there's a guy two doors down that makes cider and so you can buy cider off him and um, there's a woman in the village who makes baskets and she does little basket weaving lessons. And I think you make you make your choices in your life and doesn't need that doesn't need a massive political shift to for people just to go, do you know what? I'm going to buy local. I'm going to I'm going to you know, we're going to do something and construct something, but it'll sell it to the village or, or you know, help people mm. out. I, I think I think we're we're going that way anyway. I think if, if there have been any positives about lockdown, it has it has made people lean in that direction. Definitely. Yeah, recognizing that that there are certain values that are in place because they're 
deep in our e- evolution. Uh, like Gandhi, like used to talk about when in the I use I used to say this all the time because it really really affected me because it's from Gandhi and because he's such a radical leader. But he said like that, you know, he said there's no point in throwing the British out of India and then replicating the systems that they had in place. You know, which is obviously pretty much what did happen in India. He said India is a country of seventy thousand villages. Each vid- we should all of our villages should be independent but connected, running their own lives where possible, trading where only where is necessary. We have to lose our, this fetishization with trinkets, was the word he used because it was a long time ago. But I mean, like, imagine if that dude knew about like iPhones and Fitbits and all of the stuff that we fetishize and obsess over. That like these, like these things that sound sort of pretty simple and remote, like, you know, sort of trading with, and, uh, within your community, making the stuff that you need, not like living in a sort of a... Um, sort of a like the pornography of consumerism plastic everywhere like this is a like this is a radical step another person who's been on our podcast a lot or maybe a couple of times Helena Norberg Hodge talks about like you know localizing community permaculture local markets all these things are like one of the things that concerns me is they seem sort of bourgeois like oh it's all right for you you live in this village and you've got a garden chopping up logs I'm a I'm a fucking crackhead <laughs> like it's all, you know like you know like how like we're supposed to uh, like these, these, these things are their solution. We're living in this bizarre perversion of eating bad quality, salty, sugary food, looking at pornography, living our life vicariously through social media, and like I, I, I'm interested in creating legitimate solutions through collaborating with people who have particular areas of expertise. So all of us can you know, make the necessary compromises to live in a conscious, ecologically mindful, spiritually awakened fashion. Yeah, and, and you can't drag everyone along, can you? I mean, there was always going to be a section of society who don't want to live like that, you know? I mean, if you, you said it was sort of bourgeois and I suppose a bit middle class to, you know, and I was really, I think, again, one of the reasons, one of the things I learned on the streets was like, I, I consider myself to have a moral compass, right? And so I don't lie, um, or I try not to lie, or if I do mm. lie, I apologise about it afterwards. Um, but, you know, and then I was looking at the guys on the streets and like, they would just do whatever it takes to get by because because it's it is survival and and i think you know when it when it comes to sort of permaculture and um little communities and stuff like that again it's it's a bit of a privilege isn't it that you've mm. got that you can afford to be reflective in that sense and, and maybe you've had a different um i don't know experience in life which is leading you to you know you're not in the same hand-to-mouth sort of survival sort of instinct manner and i think but that doesn't mean that you can't drive things forward i, I think that sort of world would help everyone and it's a bit like the healthy eating thing isn't it there's a, in the military, not being dismissive to the soldiers, I was an officer and I had a group of 30 soldiers. And if you were to cook the kind of food that I cook every night with broccoli and stuff, they'd say, fuck off, sir. We're not eating that fucking shit. We, we want, you know, pie and chips. And 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 yeah, they would obviously benefit a lot more from eating broccoli unless you believe Paul Saladino. And in that case, they wouldn't. They'd, <laughs> they'd be better, you'd be better with meat. But I don't know. I just think... Um, Yes, it is a little bit of a privilege to, to think like that, but I don't think that should stop anyone from thinking like that. I think, you know, once if if you are looking for, you know, aspirational ways of living or alternative ways of living that are more wholesome, then, then that, that, there's no negative in that, is there? There's a few things I'd like to point out. Firstly, I think that you're platoon or battalion if that's the right word we're using some pretty foul language and i say there should be a few court martials on that basis i'd like to see him dragged through the military courts 
for for saying I ain't eating that fucking broccoli, sir. What what? It would have been exactly that word. Yeah. Those those are the exact words. <clears throat> yeah, I can imagine there are particular cultures inside the military that are sort of necessary to like keep cohesiveness at that level. To have a group of people that are willing to live in such a self-sacrificing way, I can see that comes at a, a cost. I've always had a sort of um, like what do I want to call it almost like voyeuristic respect and fascination with people that have been in the military and are in the military because I feel like that because of the sacrifice component and the discipline component it really really interests me I know that that a lot of those uh you know it's obviously associated with violence nationalism and all of those kind of ideas but what fascinates me about it is that there are people that are willing to like put their own shit on hold and live a life that don't look easy to me yeah i, I mean I, th- I i have different feelings on about it depending on which day of the week it is but i mean i i'm quite i'm not very military i left on the first day that i was allowed to um my my nickname in the army was civvy twat um civvy being civilian um i had like hearing holes in my ears and you know i i was a pretty a stereotypical officer i think however um i i don't think you know people people don't join because you know, people don't go to war because they're aggressive. They 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 end up in the military because they're interested in that sort of stuff. But they but they end up fighting alongside each other because they've got mates next to them and they they, they want to protect them. And you know, and they're quite loyal. And they've got they as you say, the the discipline there is is massively to be respected because you know they're, they're so efficient in the way that they operate, um, which is utterly impressive. But I mean, I do think there's negatives to to the military. I um. I don't know, in, my, in our battalion, and this is ridiculous, but in our battalion, they would have what they called a second 11 night. So a second 11 night would mean you weren't allowed to bring your girlfriend or your wife. Um, you had to bring your other bit on the side that you were shagging, right? Which is ridiculous, isn't it? And and that was commanding off a lesser level downwards. And I was, uh, after I left, you know, it took a few years to get that kind of behavior out of my system. And and I messed up massively, and 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 I'm and I'm glad I've come through the whole thing because. And, but looking back on it, I just think, what was what was the what was the reason for doing that? And I, all I could think of is that I didn't want to have soldiers or officers that would go away on operations for six months and be so sort of doughy eyed with their partners that they couldn't operate operate wow. functionally. Uh, and so th- that would be the only reason I can think of for actually a sort of institutional level encouraging such sort of infidelity. But. Um, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's a. I would agree with that analysis, just speculatively. It like like that any affinity with an outside idea has to be institutionally eliminated. Like if you're a particularly romantic person or a religious person, because what I've, I feel like, how are you gonna have radical? You ain't gonna have radical change in a country like this one, or or any sort of meaningfully developed nation, unless you have the support of the military and the police force. And those are value systems that are strongly, necessarily, of course, allied to their government, the sort of the national figureheads, like the royal family or whatever stands for that in whatever whatever culture it is. And... but what I've always felt is, what background are these people from? Normally, they're people from 
ordinary backgrounds and in a sense they're being handed or in your case as a person that's an ex-service person the kind of placebos that everyone deals with this will this is your value system now this is what you can believe in and sort of invited to go against you know certain rather lovely impulses like you know marital fidelity or relationship fidelity or whatever type of fidelity it is depending on the kind of thing you're into so yeah i can see that it is like anything that's that large a mixture of pretty uh, impressive values like the willingness to die for something bigger than you loyalty discipline but also you know like i suppose yeah dogmatism prejudice bigotry you know i mean there are there's going to be a sort of a combination of different systems but i'm sure i can imagine or fantasize at least about a version of an army or uh, that is for the people and for the values of the people rather than a, a tool to keep in place certain powerful interests well i think i think the army is for the people and there's there's a huge amount of compassion for the military at the moment you only have to look at charities like help for heroes and they're so on trend at the moment you know because people people do you know pe- people are compassionate about soldiers people don't it's not like post-vietnam where everyone hates hates the military that's that's not the case at all and i you know I've obviously i've still got loads of mates who are, who are ex-military and i don't think the system helps the individual is, is what honestly i think i think we've got probably still the best trained military in the world I, I genuinely think we might be the 48th largest army in the world or something now but the the, the actual training is is outstanding in this country and and and, and everyone does certainly at the top level of, of the british army uh, has, a, has a right to be proud but i do think at individual level i mean i, don't, I think we're playing catch-up on, on on the fact that you know we were disregarding the individual for the for the sake of the whole and to make ourselves a brilliant army and make ourselves very efficiently operational but but you know the amount of people coming out with ptsd and problems like this and and how um and how they're dealt with is is playing catch up and at the moment it's a lot of charities that are assisting the individual rather than rather than the military so and you know so many people i work with in tv when you meet them initially and they come straight out of the military they've got a really stiff handshake and they're at like arm's distance and then after after a little while, you sneak in a cheek, cheeky hug. And then after a little while, you're having a chat about their dad and they've got a tear going down their face or something. You just think this is so lovely because part of you is coming alive again. Because when you're in the military, you obviously, I don't know, you may, may have gone through some trauma and you've had to shut down your emotions in order to cope with that trauma. You can't, and, and, and you know, I saw this with, um, I, took, I don't know whether you know the story of uh, Joe Simpson. He, he wrote the book, Touching the Void, which was, two climbers and he was on the end of a rope and his uh, friend um, made the decision, Simon Yates made the decision to cut the rope on him and he fell into a crevasse and he, he smashed his legs up and um, and he was he was left dead. Um, not, and it wasn't, he doesn't blame Simon Yates for this at all, but it took him five days, I think it was, to crawl out of the crevasse and then crawl back to base camp and, 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 and survive. Joe, I, I was lucky enough to take Joe into Burma. Um, he wanted to retrace the steps of his dad, who was a chindit operating behind enemy lines, fighting against the Japanese. Um, and um, his dad came back. His battalion went down from something like 1,200 people to 18 people. So he saw Whoa. virtually everyone die, not just from being killed by the Japanese in a gruesome manner, but also from just rotting in the jungle over a over course of, of, of the majority of a year, I think. So he saw some horrific things. He came back and... Um, and um, he obviously blocked off a huge emotional part of him because um, just before he died, Joe saw him um, reading um, one of his books. It was one of his latter books. He's written about seven now. And um, he said to his sister, oh, look, Dar's re- reading, he's Irish. So he said, Dar's reading one of my books. And his sister said, oh, yeah, he's read all of them. He loves them. But he'd never actually told Joe 
that he'd read any of his books, even the one that's earned him millions of pounds. He'd never told him he'd loved him. He'd never, to- never given him a hug. And I think, you know, the emotional damage inflicted on people by the military sometimes, you know, it doesn't just affect that person. It's affecting, it's affecting their, their descendants as well. So it's, yeah, not to be underestimated, I don't think. Course can cause a generational trauma. Did you were you not able to get a hug out of them? Out of Joe, yeah, no, Joe and I get on really well. He did one of my podcasts the other day. Um, I, I really like him. He's he's a grumpy farmer, but he kind of he's kind of a get off my land. Like he, his his text, Dutch in the Void, is a GCSE and an A level text. So obviously, he gets kids writing in, well, tw- tweeting him saying, Your book's really shit and stuff like that because they're children and they don't want to they don't want to learn do they um but he will engage with this and he will like i would tell you if i was with you i would tear your head off and shit down and, and, stuff. and i'm like joe you can't they're 16 year old kids who are reading your book but he kind of he won't mind me saying this i've, I've spoken it in front of him i i'm not talking not speaking behind his back but he's kind of made his identify identity of himself as being a you know a a little bit outspoken and a little bit like a get off my land farmer, but um, but you know he's a lovely, lovely bloke. And one of the strongest lines from that um, from that uh, BBC series that I did with him, which was him going into Burma, was um, I came here to. He was in his hammock late at night, and he says, "I came here to um, say goodbye to my da, but all I want to do is say hello." And and oh, this is a tough, you know. Um, tough climber who doesn't really admit his emotions, and yeah, it was uh, it was quite sweet. Just just seeing the chinks of him opening up. It's pretty amazing that someone that's been through like an experience of being cut loose by his mate up a mountain, having to crawl through like you know the snow back to base camp, can still be irritated by a tweet that you think <laughs> that you'd have cultivated a sense of nothing matters. I nearly died. I'm alive. It's like, fuck you! He's comical. He's hilarious. I don't. I like. Why? Why are you letting that get to you? I mean, it just shouldn't. But yeah, you know, it does, doesn't it? You know, every now and again, somebody, someone will say something nasty about me, and I'm sure it happens about you even more because you're more famous. And 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 uh, and you'd, you'd like to think that you wouldn't let it get to you, but every now and again, it just gets through, doesn't it? And yeah, works. Really, yeah, it annoys you. Yeah. Man, I have to step away from that stuff. I try not to. I try not to look at it at all to tell you the truth, Ed, to keep, you know, just to keep my head together. What things are you thinking about doing? Like, I know that as your experience in like television production is slowed down, but have you got like ideas for what you want to, what, what you want to do next? Um, Okay, so above and beyond the online bushcraft courses, I also started a podcast in, uh, called Dangerous Minds in the summer, which is good. We did, we filmed the first sort of series against, uh, you know, people, people who, I, I don't know, a bit a bit nuts maybe, but are having alternative ways of living their life, um, you know, free um, base jumpers, stuff like that. People people who are doing nut stuff. Um, but um, that that that's been really good fun. But you know, initially in the podcast, you don't, as you well know, you don't make any money. Um, I think. TV will pick up back up, back up again. Um, you know, I'm, I'll probably all things going well, flying back to China in in um, December, making a program which I think is um, sponsored by the communist governments of China, <laughs> uh, which is uh, for Chinese people to um, to teach young people the values such as valor and and courage and integrity. Which, yes, yeah, brilliant. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's it's great to be out. And and I think one of the things I did realize during lockdown is how much of a luxury um, my sort of job is where you go away and then come back. So you go away, have these amazing adventures, get challenged on loads of different levels, 
and then come home and you've just got a different perspective on life. And I think everyone's, I bet most people have experienced it, you know, being at home for a year with the people that you love the most is actually really quite difficult, isn't it? Because you don't just, you don't have that ability to, to, to look back on it all and reflect from it and miss people and stuff like that. So I am looking forward to going back into, uh, into a sort of working environment where I'm going away and coming back. But, you know, and, and so, yeah, TV is picking back up is, is the short answer to your question. So it, it doesn't, it doesn't require um, me to have to completely reinvent myself, but I really hope that these online bush they, they've been the three of the fun most, my wife has taught me the word funnest. She always says funnest. And now I've started saying funnest. It's just really annoying. Um, but they've been the funnest uh, three weeks of, of my year, actually, when I've gone away and, and just, you know, we've been sitting around the fire at night, drinking beers, just having a lovely time, just just with mates. And, and I've, I've utterly loved it. Yeah. Have you took your family with you when you're doing them courses? No, I think that's why it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, the reason... I mean, we're in that parenting tunnel at the moment. You know, they're, they're really young kids. There's no sleep. You know, you don't really know whether you're awake or you're asleep at the moment. When I was trying to leave the house, the reason that I was like late here, I had to get myself together, have a wash as various sort of forms of therapy that I'm investigating. I say investigating, but I'm basically just having a lot of therapy, right? Because of that thing you're saying, like that being in that, you're not like, exp- I'm not experiencing like a wide variety of relationships and experiences and uh, like encounters and experiences. So my whole life is getting, gets concentrated. I become very dependent on my wife and that relationship gets a lot of pressure put on it, you know? And uh, I, I, one of the things I was going to say to you is that I, one of the reasons I'm lucky because I belong to like those 12 step groups for people with alcohol and drug issues. And it means that I've stayed in contact and attend meetings with groups of men where like what you talk about is like you know what you lead with is these are the things that I'm afraid of these are the things I'm angry about these are the things I feel about myself you know people aren't like after they've got a little bit of time like oh no I need a drink I need drugs it's, that's over what it's about is these are the things I'm experiencing and, and of course those are the kind of experiences that require you to drink or take drugs if you don't address them so like that's one example in my own life of where I have sort of uh, synthesized through you know I've been given it i've not created it myself but it synthesizes the kind of environments we're talking about where you know what are we evolved for we're evolved to have lateral tribal relationships with people that have got the same intention as you we have to acquire food we have to survive we have to build shelter we have you know like those kind of things that are baked into our species have got to have some kind of modern equivalent otherwise you're atrophying into a little individual staring at a screen either wanking or buying stuff (laughs) <laughs> yeah but it happens to the best of us doesn't it and um, yeah no i think i don't know for me my version of that is is i don't know not all of your friends are wholesome friends are you've got your mates that you think that you for some reason you're still mates because you've known each other so many years and stuff like that but you don't um you don't actually come away from them recharged and invigorated and and i i just think I have stumbled across, you know, some really, really beautiful people in the last few years who who do that for me, you know. And I think that for me, that's my version of your, you know, your twelve steps groups, you know, guys that you can have a proper, com- honest conversation with, not a stereotypical blokey conversation, you know, about football or whatever, and it's like it bores me to tears. But you know, it just, you know, about the, about the stresses of life, about the fear of not being able to pay the mortgage, and then you've got dependence, and like, what on earth are you going to do then? I, I don't know. Just, yeah. just about, about real stuff, yeah conversations that are about revelation rather than sort of exhibition or demonstrating things 
I'd really, I'd really like to do something with you one day. You know, I would. I like, I'm trying to think of what the, uh, like, is that, most... is that festival idea died a death? Yeah. yeah, no. Well, I mean, it's sort of like a kind of thing that's on hold while you know there's all this restriction on movement. But like, I, I guess what I'm thinking about as we're talking, Ed, is like imagine being able to create. I mean, a festival is a kind of a temporary utopia, even ones that we recognise now, Coachella, Glastonbury, the biggest festivals, like, you know, an environment where it's all about music, but they're usually about hedonism and decadence. What I'm interested in is creating an environment where people come together and explore the vanguard of new ideas, whether it's about personal development, how to live in harmony with nature, how to unlock your own creativity, and with the ultimate aim of can you live outside of this grid? What is it going to take of you to live off of the grid like the sort of the all of these tendrils that are attached to us making us consume objectify self-doubt things to turn us essentially into either passive little consumers citizens that don't think about the way that our own lives are organized you know like i i guess i you know i'd be very interested in evolving those ideas but of course you know straight away they have financial incentives imperatives look at the kind of work we have to do we have to form partnerships with media companies, with corporate brands, etc. So, you know, there are sort of challenges from the beginning with stuff like that. But the short answer is I am still interested and I, that is what I want to do. Well, no, I mean, let's definitely talk further. I mean, there's, there is a show that I've talked about for the last couple of years called The Bushcraft Show, actually, which is, you know, I mean, there is a sort of Walter Mitty side of it where people turn up in, you know, double camo, clothes with about 12 knives attached to them and they you know they've got emergency food in case the world ends that day um which it probably won't and um uh, and it's but it's a nice show it's got really nice people and 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 it has got you know all sorts of stands of, of yeah i don't know really nice authentic cast iron cooking stuff that you put on your fire or there's lots of talks there's lots of workshops going on you know how to everything from weave baskets to make your own knife to flint nap to all of those sort of things so so these sort of things do exist but i think in a weird way that the the side of that that isn't really evolved is the enjoyment side of it is that is that well i suppose the, the what you called hedonism I, I i think they could be blended better you know i don't i don't think dancing or not has to be hedonistic necessarily i mean it's just it's nice, isn't it? It makes you happy and you, you're with other people and you're having a good time. And we, we go to Wilderness Festival quite often and, and, um, and, and it's not, it's not, there's no, there's nothing really wholesome about that. It, but, but, you know, you're going there with mates and you're all having a good time and you're dancing together, aren't you? So, I mean, I think that's important to have in your life. You can't always be doing stuff that's, I don't know, learning or wholesome. You're right. There's got to be celebration. You need to have a bender as well, don't you? Yeah, exactly. Certainly do. I've become very puritanical. That's what happens. Like, you don't drink, do you? No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're a drug addict. Like, you know, people that have got my sort of past, you end up becoming just very judgmental. In, I mean, I'm interested in that. Because I've had periods of my life where I've cut out um, drink and everything else just because um, I wanted to, I don't know, get really fit for, for, for maybe a TV thing or whatever. And, and I, I personally sometimes feel... A, a slightly more boring version of myself. And I don't like saying no to mates when they say, do you want to come to the pub? But I find it very difficult going to the pub with a water or something like that. Do you find, do you find it difficult? Um, I, mean, I know you've done it for years and years now, so I'm sure you've got a very quick answer for this, but. I've replaced those things. Like, so I wouldn't go to a pub with mates. Cause like now the majority, to tell the truth, like once you get deep into it, 
you tend to have friendships with other people that don't drink. And even if I have friends that do drink or take drugs, I wouldn't go into an environment where people were drinking and taking drugs a lot. Not because I think, oh no, I'll drink or take drugs, far from it. Just because I'd find it fucking boring. You know, it's like when people get off their heads and you're on the level, they're getting more and more intense. I think, oh, I can't take this madness. Do you know what I mean? It's, it doesn't, it's not, it's not for me anymore. You know, like I've, because I was, you know, I suppose you could say lucky enough or whatever to experience like extremes around substance misuse, extremes around hedonism, around like sexual sexual behaviour and all of that. I've arrived at a point where I feel like, oh, it's just like got it out of my system to a point. That's not to say that I don't sort of still crave it because like any of us, like when you're talking about legitimate celebration and stuff like that, it's like there's a part of you that it's a pleasure to get out of your head or to try, you know, pleasure is pretty beautiful. But if you have a tendency towards addiction, your relationship to pleasure has to change. You have to start thinking about things like contentment, happiness, and like sort of, and that like, ain't necessary for everyone. Some people can have dip in and out of drug use or alcohol or, you know, what, or, or any form of hedonism. But I've always had to, I guess my life has shown me that I have to be careful around it. And I've ended up in a place where the, like my priority is, is spirituality. By spirituality, I mean, I mean me being awake and connected in myself and in the way I treat other people as well that I don't unconsciously treat other people badly in order to make myself feel good or because I'm not thinking about how they might feel as a result of my actions so like the the thing that I've been taught around drugs and alcohol has meant that a lot of those behaviors have kind of dropped away I, I'm not impervious to them Ed like you know it'd be very easy for me to get angry or insecure or whatever and start to think it would be a good idea to return to some of that stuff so in a way I have a pretty vigilant life like I'm pretty vigilant the way I think about that stuff now but like the payoff for it is I have relationships with men where you know most of my relationships with men are now authentic even my even my mates that aren't from like a drug and alcohol background still you know still drink or use drugs I don't have any friends that are active crackheads or alcoholics or anything but like you know friends that just use and drink in a normal healthy adult way like but even my relationships with them I would like I like I like mucking around and I don't mind having a chat about some bullshit also, but I like to sort of be dealing with the reality of who we are. Like we're alive. We're going to die. I'm a father. I've got young children. I want to do the best I can. I'm married. I'm responsible. I've got a lot of financial responsibility. I've got a lot of other responsibilities in my life. It, like, I need to be sort of present and awake to that stuff. I can't live an unawakened life anymore. That's over for me. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I mean, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I buy into it. Oh, I don't. Um, I don't feel the need to separate myself because I don't have the same levels of past addiction that you do. But I mean, I think, you know, I, I do. I'd like to think I lead a spiritual life. I, um, you know, I, um, I meditate. I don't know four times a week, probably, if I'm honest. Um, but I like to call that a daily practice. And yeah, I think for for me, the biggest catalyst for change actually was the sixty days I did on the desert island because I I developed a weird thing which is called a reflected sense of self um and there's a sort of psychological term whereby if you walk into a room and you tell a joke and everyone laughs you know you're funny because everyone's just laughed and and and, and i think comedians like yourself probably are very susceptible to this as well but um or you walk the length of the amazon and everyone tells you you're super tough and then you know that you're super tough so that's an extreme version of it um but then i went to this island and and, and i was on my own and there was no camera people and there's no there was no nothing and, and literally i just wanted to be sick on the beach and I, and I couldn't work out why i was spinning out so much and and latterly and it took a long time to work this out i i, I recognized that i just i had no identify i didn't I didn't know who I was and because um, I was so used to doing things 
in order to almost manipulate other people's opinion of me in order to know who I was. So um, I had to literally sit there on the beach and go like, okay, am I the sort of person who, I, do I want to be reliable? Do I want to be flaky and not turn up at stuff? Or do I want to always turn up at stuff? Do I want to be late? Do I want to be honest? Or do I want to cheat on people? And then literally I just, so I didn't have a pen or a paper annoyingly because it was uh, on a desert island naked, but I, uh, <laughs> I, had, I, had, I had to sort of memorize this list of the things that I wanted to be. I was like, no one else is going to make this decision for you. Ed. you it's completely up to you as to the human being you are. And then, and that was quite an, quite, a, quite an interesting thing to go through. And I kind of, kind of wish I'd done it earlier. Actually. That's really profound. Like when we talked before you said about you said about like that meeting your friends i think were australian aboriginal friends and that they said like that you're you go oh, shut up i can hear your thinking and that like the, the same word that we use for they use for mind they use for a tangled fishing net and they also acknowledge the consciousness of the heart and the consciousness of the belly and and that they and like in modern you know in modern biology or anatomy it's recognized that there are neurological cells in the gut and neurological cells in the heart there is a type of thinking in inverted commas or at least awareness that takes place on that level i also um, spoke to Carlo Rovelli, the physicist who writes a lot in popular sort of science books, you know, seven easy theories about science or whatever, you know, like he makes physics more accessible. He told me this thing Ed, that I've been thinking about ever since. He says on the most, and obviously he's translating it into a level that someone off a podcast can understand. He goes on the most basic level of material reality, there is nothing that is objectively stable and set the reality of um, the, the the most the reality of the quantum world is relational things exist in relationship to other things that's when they become solid as it were real so in a way saying there's no reality at all everything is potential it's there and it's not there and like so when you're saying that you found yourself as you in that um 60 days uh, the island one like um, that's naked and marooned isn't it like on that one like the, the sort of the psychological state that is induced in you there is you're stripped of relationship who are you who are any of us without relationship who am i if i don't have my dog to talk to i don't have the people i work with don't have my family don't have you know like the objects in my life or uh, it makes me realize oh fuck i'm a construct and like i love that it led you to a point where you said like well i'm gonna take responsibility and design design who I am well it, it was that or just utter abandon and and and, and I couldn't really do the other I mean it, it, it sounds melodramatic but it wasn't at all it was <clears throat> I was it, I would be so low you know you'd look at this beautiful sunset um from my little cave and I I just don't care I absolutely don't care that isn't going to get food in me tomorrow I, I don't I, and you know, I was getting zero enjoyment for quite a lot of the time and I could have just spiraled downwards you know you know everyone's got i think the capability of of spiraling and then there's a part of you that just goes you know pulls pulls you up doesn't it and you just go look come on Ed, you can do this like let's just take a deep breath and let's hold your hand through this experience and it is scary and it is you know you're having to go into the very depths and cause of your whole psychology and you know i, I did go into therapy in latter years um but month sorry a year and a half after that experience i went into therapy and 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 um and that was one of the most transformative periods of my life and and i think you know it, i didn't again i wasn't straight jacket or anything like that and i didn't have the same sort of um addiction issues as other people and stuff but i did feel that you know having a certain level of self-awareness in life just makes you makes you more honest doesn't it because i think so many people not 
they're not just not honest to other people, but they're not really honest to themselves because there's bits of themselves that they that they don't really want to explore. And whenever they think about it, they think go and have a cigarette or they go and have a drink or they go and have a bite of chocolate or they open their phone probably more usually nowadays. Yes. And I, and I think I think not having all those distractions was was what was key to the sort of to the catalyst to change for me because on the island because um because there was nowhere to hide and and therefore it was quite terrifying but but equally but pretty powerful as well yeah yeah you're confronted with the reality of who you are it sounds amazing and it's like no coincidence that sort of a lot of spirit spiritual traditions at their esoteric end have a lot of asceticism and denial in them don't have sex don't drink don't take drugs don't eat loads of food spend time alone in solitude so that you start to realize hang on a minute this is all fucking bull i made all this stuff up that's not even who i am you know you're not able to distract yourself continually but if you can find harmony with who you actually are and it's obviously what i'm striving to do still then you're not like you can have a loving relationship with your children, your wife, your friends, your work, not a dependent relationship on if I haven't got this, then I'm fucked. You know, like, so you better not leave me or you better not treat me bad because my sense of self is dependent on you treating me good. You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and do you know what? I wasn't capable of a, of a marriage prior to that experience and, and, and certainly had never, I'd always thought about kids, but had been scared of having kids in case I just messed the whole thing up. And, and it, no, it wasn't overnight when I was on the island, but over the course of that period afterwards, I just thought, you know what? I trust myself to do this now. You know, I trust myself not to, not to, you know, not to cheat on somebody, for example, or not, or not to be um, a flaky dad who who doesn't spend the sort of time he's 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 got to spend with his his kids to make them humble, nice, well-rounded human beings. You know, so um, yeah, no, I, I I really do actually advocate um, time on your own. I think it's a it's a really powerful catalyst and, 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 and it's something that's so, so rarely anybody does, doesn't it? Who, who spends more than an hour on their own, really? Apart from the time you're asleep, you spend so little time on your own. And if you do, the chances are that you're, you're doing something else, aren't you? You're either driving or you're listening to the radio or you, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think it is. When people, when people go on their retreats, like which I've not done, like they always say around day three, people start crying and freaking out like you know on like silent retreats of 10 days and that about three days in people start to probably experience the stuff that you experienced in extreme there like something hits you you know yeah i mean i'm not i don't also the thing is and i know you've had to go quite extreme in order because of because of the addiction thing but i don't i don't i don't want to give up having a beer i don't want to give up um you know seeing mates and going to the pub for me that's part of um part of my part of my life and and I, and I do sometimes when I'm on these little fitness benders avoid going to the pub and then I miss out you know and then just and then I, then I just and I have to go so I yeah I think everyone has their little dilemmas in life as to how how to best to live life and like there's there's purest purist and then I don't want to be that though I want to be a little bit below purest purist <laughs> yeah a little bit of grit in the oyster a little bit of filth on it Ed, thank you, man. Thank you for finding time to do this. I'm sorry I kept you waiting at the beginning. There. I didn't tell you fully. My child was actually holding onto my leg as I was walking out of the door. It's interesting, isn't it, being a father? It's blowing my mind. Oh, it's amazing, mate. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, it, it does. It just transforms everything, doesn't it? It makes life worth living. I, mean, I, was, I remember doing exactly the same job seven years ago. Still was doing Discovery Channel survival stuff. Come, come back to an empty flat in Battersea and just just go on the internet and just 
just get more and more down as the evening went on um, and, and and now I've got exactly the same job but but I'm providing you know now I come back to this little hub of love <sighs> it's amazing it's amazing purpose we have purpose thanks thanks Ed um so like hold on me I just want to direct people one last time what is what, what is it called but that your website where you can get your courses bushcraft.academy bushcraft.academy i'm going to check it out i want to be able to start fires not only physical ones but fires in people's hearts and i want some goddamn knife skills as well nice one well they were there they're all there mate yeah cheers ed bless you man thanks for your thanks for your time and your excellence i'll be in touch with you about our other ideas wicked all right mate take care love peace well, thanks for listening to Under the Skin with me, Russell Brand, and Ed Stafford. Let me know what you thought of it on the various social media platforms, but for God's sake, don't get caught up on there. Send yourself mad. Sign up for my mailing list at russellbrand.com to get exclusive mailing list only uh, news and video content. Of course, I've cancelled all those gigs. We've had to because of the lockdown, so I won't be doing those gigs. Your money will be refunded. I hope you don't have any trouble with that. If you do, let me know, and I'll personally, ha- well, I won't personally handle it. I'll ask some <laughs> people that work for me. They're going, oh, no, don't say that. Don't. But you will just get your money back. It's, you know, we're not robbers. Okay, in the meantime, if you enjoyed this conversation with Ed, why not check out Bruce Parry, Wim Hof, or John McAvoy, all men who want to survive, survival men. Um, and our other Ed Stafford episode from 2017. Keep checking out my YouTube daily uh, channel for videos. Every day do we do a new video on there. Three times a week, regular times. Have a listen. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to Under the Skin from Luminary.